Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Well, I want to look in Daniel chapter 5 tonight, if you want to take your Bibles and uh, look there. And I want to talk about, you know, when, when people defy God and when we uh, defy God. You know, it's been a weird uh, week. I guess weird is the word I'll use. Um, after the Supreme Court had um, overturned uh, Roe v. Wade, you know, a lot of people, their true colors uh, kind of came out. A lot of people um, who, who label themselves Christian, you know, most Christians, I think, rejoice that at least in some states, abortion will stop and, and babies are going to be saved. But then there's those who, it's weird, they, they label themselves Christians and they were, I mean, angry. Now, you know, you notice the, the non-Christians, I mean, they were really, really angry. I mean, some almost to the point of demonic. But, but then there were those who were angry at, at, at it being over, overturned. And, I, you know, I was a little confused about that. I'm like, would we not celebrate that lives are, are being saved? But there was this, just this display of how, how dare you save babies or something. I really, I really don't know. You know. But it was just a weird disregard and defiance uh, of God and his word and his standards and really what he says about the preciousness of human life. Um, now, obviously, that's not the only way that people have defied God this past week. I mean, it, it seems like every day they, they were, humanity finds one other way to defy God. Now, we know that God is patient and he is kind. And the Bible says that he is slow to anger, but he will not tolerate defiance forever. Um, if you defy God, in a sense, God will defy you. He's going to set himself up against you if you're going to defy him. And when that happens, you see the metaphorical writing on the wall, meaning that God is going to bring an end to your rebellion in some way, shape, or, or form. Now, in our day, we might see the metaphorical writing on the wall, handwriting on the wall, but we're going to look at a Babylonian king tonight named Belshazzar, and he defied God, and he saw the literal handwriting on the wall. I mean, this is the chapter where we get that, that saying from. And, and unlike his ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, who was probably his grandfather, this Belshazzar, he did not recognize the God of Israel at all, he did not praise God like Nebuchadnezzar did. He didn't learn his lesson one bit. He didn't learn his, the lesson from Nebuchadnezzar who, you know, ended up praising God and humbling himself before God. And so the, this king, this Belshazzar, he had to learn the hard way that the Most High, he alone rules in the kingdom of men. He gives the kingdoms to whom he chooses. And if rulers, but if, I mean, if anybody does not recognize the one true God, when you defy God, you will 
lose. You will, and like for a leader in his position, he will lose his kingdom and his kingdom will be given to another. It is not worth defying God. It is not worth having God as your enemy and rebelling against him. So I want to take this chapter in somewhat bits and pieces tonight. And, I, and first, I, I want to look at Belshazzar's insolence, what it is that he did to defy God. And verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5 show us what he did to defy God. And so it says in Daniel 5, verses 1 through 4, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Meaning that he used the vessels from God's temple to praise the idols that they had set up all over there in his thing. So now here we are, chapter 5. The events take place roughly about 30 years after the events of chapter 4. Now to kind of know where we are historically, because we've taken kind of a jump here from Nebuchadnezzar all of a sudden to this Belshazzar guy. Well, Nebuchadnezzar reigned from about 605 to 562 B.C. He was succeeded by his son, evil Merodach, who reigned from about 562 to 560 B.C. Evil Merodach was then assassinated by his brother-in-law, Neraglisser, and then Neraglisser was succeeded by his son. Well, they have the, all these weird names, but his, this guy's name was Labasi Meriduk. Now you notice that, I mean, they, they, they have the names of their gods within their names. And so, you know, the Meriduk, Marduk was a, a Babylonian god. Nebo was a Babylonian god. Bel was a Babylonian god. And, and, and then after that guy came Nebanadus. I'm telling you, these names are hard. And this guy, Nebanadus, remained in control until the Medes and the Persians took over. So after Nebuchadnezzar, there was a whole, you know, quick succession of kings. And what uh, historians believe is that this Nabonidus married one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters, and they had a son named Belshazzar. And according to the Babylonian text, Nabonidus made his son Belshazzar a co-regent and ruler in Babylon while he kind of set up his rule in another city in the empire. And so Nabonidus was fighting the Medes and the Persians, and he actually ended up fleeing from them. But Belshazzar was walled up in, in the city of Babylon. Babylon had big walls, and even though they were surrounded by the Medes and the Medo-Persian Empire, or the army of the Medes and, and the Persians, they weren't too worried because the, the wall was big, they had the Euphrates River going through the middle of the city, so they had fresh water, they had, 
They had food in stock for years on end, and so they thought they were safe. So Belshazzar, Belshazzar decides, I'm going to throw a party. So he throws a feast for all the nobles within the city. I mean, thousands of nobles and wives and concubines and, and uh, the like. He may have done it to boost the morale of the leaders. He may have done it um, to, I don't know, praise his gods or whatever, whatever in the world. But, you know, it, it, the, the party turned into a big drunken old party kind of thing. And, and maybe out of his drunkenness and maybe just because he was stupid, he decides to commit blasphemy against God. And so he takes the holy items from, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had taken them from the temple and hidden them away or stored them away somewhere. Well, he decides to take these items and, and use them in this drunken pagan party that uh, is uh, going on. He may have done it. You know, this may have been his way of, saying, you know, well, my gods are greater than the gods of the, of the Jews. Um, he may have done it to curry favor with his gods. You know, because it, it says that, you know, they drink wine and they praise the gods of God and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Because all throughout his castle or whatever in the world, you know, palace, whatever you want to call it, and, you know, there were these idols made of wood and stone and metal all over the place of all these different gods. And so he says, well, you know what, to please all these gods, you know, they're kind of just sitting around, we're, we're going to take these vessels, we're going to drink to them, and we're going to worship them. We're going to use God's holy items in a very unholy way. This was very much an in-your-face kind of move against God. In a way, it was kind of their way of, his way of shaking his fist at God, daring, daring the God of the Jews. What are you going to do about it? Huh? What do you think you're going to do about this? He didn't think that the God of Israel would do anything. And, you know, we got to think about that. We got to be careful not to flaunt our sins before God, before the face of the God, we don't take our sins and we don't challenge God's authority and blaspheme his name because God will judge. You know, we, I mean, we are seeing some blasphemy and defiance in our day and age. You know, all the, there's... Oh, I can't think of the rapper's name. But he, he had some sort of glass crown of thorns he was wearing during a show, uttering blasphemies and, and just evil, wicked things. Kind of in your face, Christ. All these protesters over Roe v. Wade, they wear shirts and they hold signs and... And they, they mock Christianity and they mock Christ and they mock the cross. And, and another, in your face, God, what are you going to do about it? Well, God is going to do something about it. You know, Belshazzar, he thought he was safe from a human standpoint. Flaunted his sin, defied God. What are you going to do about it, God? Well, God is going to do something about it. 
So, you know, we saw Belshazzar's insolence. Uh, now we're going to see God's indictment of what he did in verses 5 through 9. So this is what God did. It, it says, beginning in verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Now, yes, this what, what Belshazzar did in this particular incident was, was very bad in and of itself, but... You know, this wasn't like the, all of a sudden the first thing that he did to defy God. His wickedness had been building for years and years. And then this, this blasphemy is what we might call the straw that broke the camel's back. In the midst of all this pagan revelry and all this pagan evil, God moved swiftly to indict Belshazzar on numerous charges, and he pronounced judgment upon him of course he did it in a very supernatural eerie way it's not every day that you see a hand without a body but in the midst of this wild party going on all of a sudden this supernatural hand with no body attached to it appeared before all the people it you know the way that it's described it made sure that we understood that this hand was well seen. It was in a well-lit place in, a, in an area of whatever room they were in or banquet hall or whatever in the world it was, that it was visible not only to, not only to Belshazzar, but also to all the lords and the wives and the concubines and everyone else that was there. And this hand wrote a message for Belshazzar. And I guess you could say that seeing this weird sign and wonder, it sobered the people, people up real quick. And it shocked them. When, when Belshazzar saw this sight, he was scared. He lost control of his legs. I mean, I like how the ESV put it. I mean, his, his knees were knocking. And, and he lost control of his legs. And this hand wrote four words in Aramaic. And it's not that they didn't understand the words. They understood what the words said. They just didn't understand what the words meant. I mean, it, it, it was not intelligible, just these four words. And so it literally says that he screamed out. He screamed out in terror to get his wise men in there to interpret this. He was desperate to know what this message meant for him. And so he offered whoever can interpret what this message means, I will make third rank ruler of the entire empire. You know, his, his dad was number one, he was number two, 
I'm going to make number three, whoever can tell me who, whatever this message means. But none of his enchanters and sorcerers and Chaldeans and all these people, they, they couldn't interpret that because it was a message from God. Only someone who had the Holy Spirit of God could interpret the message from God. And that's why non-believers can't understand the Bible or they don't understand the Bible. Their understanding is darkened, is what Scripture says. They need the Holy Spirit to enlighten it for them. And so, if it's a message from God, he needs a prophet from God. Where in the world are you going to find a prophet from God in the midst of all this pagan wickedness? Well, God has his people in the right place. And so next, I want to look at Daniel's interpretation. And this is going to be a big section of Scripture that we are going to read here. We'll start in verse 10 and go all the way through verse 29. It, start, it says in verse 10, The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, and you know, that means grandfather, it means ancestor, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty and because of the greatness that he gave him all peoples nations and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. 
and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed Many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, it's a long part of the section. But Belshazzar's pagan folks could not interpret God's words. And so the queen, and it's actually probably the queen mother, it's probably either... Belshazzar's grandmother or his mother. So she found out what was going on. She had heard all the commotion. She heard that, that, that this supernatural hand all of a sudden came and wrote these words, and no one knows what, what in the world it means. And so she told Belshazzar about Daniel, who had performed similar feats of interpretation in the past. Belshazzar is so desperate, he, you know, he, he'll try anything, and so he brings Daniel in. He gives Daniel the same offer. Daniel refuses the gift because he doesn't want him, Belshazzar to think that, well, God's services can be paid off by a pagan king. But, you know, Daniel knew the gift wouldn't be of any use anyway because Babylon was about to fall. And so Daniel, he, he rebukes Belshazzar about his, his hubris, his pride. He reminds the king what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And Belshazzar must have been alive at the time and must have known something about this. But he reminds him, look, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. He was made to be like the beast. He lost his mind for seven periods of time, is what it says, seven years maybe. But he was humbled. He, he was a beast. He was like... He ate grass like an ox or, or something. But then, at least Nebuchadnezzar had the sense to humble himself and to repent before God and give glory to God. Belshazzar, he did not learn the lesson. He didn't have that sense. Instead, Belshazzar here is charged with pride, with sacrilege, with blasphemy, with immorality, 
with idolatry, I'll add stupidity. He was so wicked and he was so evil and his actions were so heinous, God was not going to give him a chance to repent. The judgment is set. And these are the words of judgment. This judgment is written out in four words. Three different words, and one of them is repeated twice. But it says, many, many, tekel parson. Okay, that's Aramaic. We understand the meaning of the words, we just don't understand what message it's trying to convey. So Daniel gives the interpretation of what God is telling Belshazzar. Many, your days are numbered. The word many means number. God has limited Belshazzar's time and the kingdom's time. And, in fact, they're just a few hours away from destruction. Telic means to weigh. Your life has been weighed in the scale of God. With God's righteousness on one side of the scale and Belshazzar's life on the other side of the scale, his life has been found wanting. His life has fallen so short of God's holy standard, he is going to be judged. And then parson, or perez, is the word, and parson is just a form of it. It means to divide. Your kingdom is going to be divided from you. The Babylonian, the Babylonian empire is going to fall and is going to be given to another. It's going to be divided amongst other people, namely the Medes and the Persians. The inscription was an announcement of the divine evaluation of Belshazzar's reign. And it was a pronouncement of imminent judgment. Now, that obviously is not a good message. But too drunk to care, or he's just too lost to care. He's like, okay, whatever. And he does what he promised. He gives Daniel the, the purple robe, the gold necklace, all right, Daniel, you're third in all the kingdom of the Babylonian Empire. Yeah, for a few whole hours. But then we learn about Darius's inauguration. Because what God prophesied and what Daniel interpreted came true. Because verses 30 and 31 tell us that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now what, is, what I just so love about Scripture is that it is just so steeped in history. The Bible just has so much history written into it because, I mean, it's true. But, I mean, you're able to verify that it's true because it just has so much history written in it. Because, for example, there are ancient historians that confirm the account given in Daniel. There's, there's non-Christian ancient historians that confirm what, what Daniel writes about. As one author points out, he says, concerning the historicity of the feast, both Greek historians Herodotus and Xenophon testified that a banquet was in progress the night that Babylon fell. The date would have been October 12, 539 B.C., about 30 years after the events 
of chapter 4. The feast was going on. The judgment was given, and the judgment was executed that night. And so according to historical records, what happened was that, you know, I, I mentioned that the Euphrates River came through the middle of the city. Well, supposedly, somehow, the Medes and the Persians diverted the Euphrates, or, I don't know, they built a dam further up somewhere. But because of diverting the water, they were able to march through the riverbed and go underneath the wall of the city and took over the city without much of a battle at all. And then Belshazzar was killed and, and the Babylonian Empire was over with. And uh, Darius was ruling there. Now there's a little bit of confusion of who Darius is uh, because there's Cyrus who was the king of the Medes and Persians. And so we're not really sure who Darius is. If he, some say he was a general and he was just given kind of control over Babylon by Cyrus. Uh, but again, it's all historical, historical fact. Belshazzar defied God. God proclaimed judgment. God executed judgment. And we have to be careful about shaking our fists in the face of God as well as individuals, as any group of people, as a nation. You know, it, it is not something to be taken lightly. Shaking your fist in the face of God. But I want to mention some quick lessons that we can take from this chapter. Number one, you cannot think that you can just flaunt your sins in God's face without getting some sort of reaction. Whether you're a Christian or not, I mean, if you're a Christian and think, well, you know what, I can sin and I'm going to do whatever I want because, oh, I'm forgiven. Well, yes, but that doesn't mean that you're just going to get away with it. If you're a true child of God, Hebrews tells us that if you're a true child of God, he will discipline you. You can't just throw your attitude or whatever in the face of God and just think that he's going to, to let you just do whatever. I mean, if, if you are a parent with a child, I mean, you don't just let your child do whatever in the world that they want. I would hope not. I mean, if they're acting wrong and they're acting way off, you, you, you react to that. You discipline them to teach them that you don't act that way. Right? And so God does the same to us. God uses discipline to, no, don't, don't do that. This is the way. Don't, don't do that. But if you're not a child of God, and you're throwing your sin up in God's face. Yes, we know, we know that God is patient and slow to anger and that he's wanting people to repent. But you're not going to have forever to repent. Eventually, judgment will come down if there is no humility, if there's no confession, if there's no repentance. Judgment for the unbeliever, discipline for the believer. Secondly, now... I don't think there's any political leaders here, but there needs to be a warning to our political leaders. You cannot run a government as if God does not exist. It is God who raises nations and 
kingdoms and administrations, and it is God that tears down nations and administrations. He brings down nations he, and leaders. God will judge the leaders who act wickedly. And so we need to remind our government leaders that it is the Most High who rules over the kingdom of men. And he's the one that gives it to whomever he wants. But a third lesson we need to learn is that our life is but a vapor. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. We need to number our days. We need to live rightly. We need to weigh our lives in the balance of God's standard. I mean, yeah, we're going to fall way short. And that's why we need Jesus Christ. But you know what? We are going to be judged. I mean, we are told in Hebrews that, that everything about our life is open and laid bare before God. And we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account. Now, for the believer, it is, it is a judgment of what I would say would be reward or loss of reward or, or something like that. For the unbeliever, it is about eternal punishment. And so we need to consider where we stand. We need, to, we need to consider how our lives weigh up against God's holy standard. And we've got to remember it's God's holy standard. And we, we, we have this tendency that, okay, if we're going to weigh our life in the balance, okay, I'm, my life is on one side and Hitler is on the other. So as long as my life is better than Hitler's, I'm in good shape. Well, that's not what's on the other side of the balance. The other side of the balance is Jesus Christ. How do you weigh up then? Yeah, way short, way short. And that's why we just rely on the mercies of God through Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, if there's any here who have not trusted in Christ, you will not win against that balance. And you will not be able to do any amount of good to kind of change the balance. You fall short. That's actually how Muslims look at things. They look at it as a balance. Okay, if, if somehow I can get my good to outweigh my bad, I, I'm going to go to paradise with whatever promises that they give. It don't work that way. We all fall short when we're compared to Jesus Christ, when we're compared to God's standard, when we're compared to God's law. And that's why we need a Savior. And so if there's anyone who doesn't have that Savior, they need it. Yeah, but you know, I know this person who I'm close with, they don't, they, they, they don't profess Christ, but they're a good guy. Well, yeah. They might be a good guy in human terms, but in God's terms, and God's standards, no. There's none good. There's none righteous. That good person needs Christ. We all need Christ. But I would just encourage us all, don't defy God. It never turns out good it never turns out right and so we want to pray we, we want to go to a time of prayer pray for ourselves that we wouldn't 
defy God. We want to pray that our nation would stop defying God. We want to pray for the lost, that they would learn not to defy God, because it will never work out for them. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.